This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. Republicans have made the teaching of American history a key battleground in their culture war against Democrats in the upcoming elections, especially the history of the American Revolution. For comment, we turn to Eric Foner. Of course, he taught history at Columbia for a long time. His work on Reconstruction and the Civil War won the Pulitzer Prize, the Bancroft Prize, and the Lincoln Prize. He's also written for the New York Times op-ed page, the TLS, the LRB, and The Nation, where he's a member of the editorial board, and where he wrote recently about the book Liberty is Sweet, The Hidden History of the American Revolution by Woody Holton. Eric, welcome back. Yes, nice to talk to you, John. Well, historians for years tried hard to get beyond the academy and reach the public with their work, and now they have, but not in the way they had hoped. Uh, What exactly are the Republicans doing to make American history a political issue, and why exactly has the revolution, 1776 and all that, become such a big deal for them? Yeah, it is kind of mysterious. Uh, Now, it's not the only time that there have been public controversy, very heated controversy over the teaching of history. Uh, You and I both remember back in the 90s, the so-called history wars where Gary Nash, uh, UCLA professor, had pioneered producing a new set of standards for teaching of history, which were denounced by Lynn Cheney and other conservatives as not patriotic enough. Too much emphasis on the negative, slavery, things like that. Who wants to hear about that? Yeah, it's too boring, too too depressing. We want to hear about how great everything is in America and always was. So that went on for a good, you know, several years. There was I, I was sort of involved in it, and very I debated Lynn Cheney on the radio once, and it was a total disaster. <laughs> okay, I mean, in terms of intellectual content, because yeah. all she did was yell and interrupt me, and so I decided I'd do the same thing. But anyway, the point is, uh, what's going on now comes from a number of sources, but something called critical race theory. States are actually passing laws banning the teaching of critical race theory in public schools. If you ask the members of the legislature, well, what is this? They always say, well, I don't exactly know, but it's bad. It has to do with race. That's pretty clear, critical race theory. And Republicans are sort of latched on this idea that White students are being told they're guilty because of slavery, and they have to feel bad and shameful about the fact that there was slavery in this country. Or another way of attacking it, in fact, in Florida, I think the law they've passed says that they must teach that America is an exceptional country. Uh, American exceptionalism is now a kind of public orthodoxy. Exceptional in what way or ways? Uh, that is up to the teacher. I mean, in my U.S. history textbook, I do say we are an exceptional country. We have more gun uh, murders than any other country in the world. We have a much weaker uh, social safety net than any advanced country in the world. There are many ways that we are exceptional. Now you're making me depressed. (laughs) I know. Nobody is to be told they're guilty or shameful because of that. But anyway, what's really, you know, they're using this to as part of the general backlash, which has occurred, well, since the civil rights movement, but reinvigorated by the presidency of Obama. And also, by the way, many historians are emphasizing the centrality of slavery in American history, not to make students feel guilty, 
there isn't a single student in a public room class in a public classroom who actually owns slaves nowadays, right? In the United <laughs> States, so they look, they have nothing to feel guilty about. That's something that uh, past generations did, but uh, it's important to learn this history to understand the racial turmoil that the country has gone through in the last few years, especially after the murder of George Floyd. But they, Republicans have found this is a winning issue in a weird sort of way. Uh, and uh, so they're going to continue to um, badger schools and teachers about what they ought to be saying about American history. And it's not just a fight over local school boards. Uh, Donald Trump himself, as I recall, towards the end of his presidency, got involved in this too. Well, he uh, uh, put together something called the 1776 Commission, uh, which issued a little report about American history, complaining, that, again, that teachers were not teaching American history in a celebratory manner anymore. And um, yeah, Trump thought this was a way to get some votes. Uh, the 1776 Commission mostly composed of conservative academics, issued a little report, very brief, of 30 pages or so, again, about how great the Constitution is, how great the Declaration of Independence is, and everything good since then just flows out of the, those founding documents. You know, what's really at stake here is a number of more substantive questions, such as, well, how much should we be locked into the vision of the founders of the country? I mean, the courts debate that all the time in terms of original intent and everything. How should we understand the relationship of slavery to the American Revolution, to the early republic? How do we deal with the fact that so many of our revered, you know, public figures, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, you name them, were slave owners, even when they spoke about the universality of liberty and things like that? Those are important questions to be discussed in a classroom with a competent teacher that can really enlighten students about the complexities of history. It I don't think Trump was interested in the complexities of history, though. No, it seems like Trump's 1776 commission and the other Republicans who are on this bandwagon think that if you teach about 1776 and the American Revolution, then you will get a patriotic, optimistic, celebratory history of American freedom. But historians have for a long time taught that 1776 was a lot more complicated than that. Well, Woody Holton's book, uh, which you mentioned, Liberty is Sweet, certainly takes that view. This is not a great celebration of the founding fathers. In fact, very few of the founders come out looking particularly good. George Washington, well, Woody doesn't have much of respect for Washington as a military strategist. Uh, he wanted to just storm British lines with his troops and in a heroic way, which luckily his other generals told him would be suicide. Uh, and he eventually didn't do that. He was a major land speculator, says Woody, the gold standard of speculators, and um, you know was in the revolution not just for uh, ideological uh, purposes, but to make some money. Um, uh, Thomas Jefferson, obviously, we don't need to say, was a major slave owner. Uh, so uh, it's it's complicated. That any good history is complicated. Uh, but what what's interesting about Woody Holton's book, I think, and what's admirable about it is that it tries to create a coherent account here. Both well-known people, famous founders, they're in there, but also ordinary men and women, 
Native Americans, African Americans, all sorts of people in the society, and how they affected the coming of the revolution, the making of a new republic uh, in the 1780s. In other words, it's, he's a greatly expanded the cast of characters uh, who ought to be considered when you're trying to paint a portrait of a country going through a major uh, revolution. So the question here is not just how did Americans achieve independence from Britain, but who should rule a new and independent country in, in North America? And the most fascinating part to me of this new way of telling the story, relatively new, is that the Revolutionary War did not unite Americans. Uh, it exacerbated all kinds of tensions and conflicts. So, and that yeah, it was it was a civil war within the American colonies, as well as a struggle for independence from Great Britain. I think where Holton really does blaze a new path is by really trying to integrate, for, let's say, Native Americans, their role in the Revolution. You know, a lot of Native American soldiers fought on both sides. Uh, in the revolution, but they, you know, they were fighting mainly to maintain their control of of the land, their ancestral land, which was constantly being overrun by white settlers. And the revolution was a disaster for Native Americans because the removal of their British allies just opened the door to massive uh, intrusions on their lands once the new independent United States, you know, was founded. And you emphasize in your piece for the nation that Native Americans were also, in a way, a crucial cause of the Civil War because of a disagreement between the British Empire and the colonists about them. Yeah, the, the so-called proclamation of 1763, which the British issued after the what we call the French and Indian Wars here, which led to the expulsion of the French from North America. What happened was the British said, look, it's too damned expensive to have fighting going on all, uh, all along the frontier, as has been happening, as white settlers move on to Indian land. There's constant battles. British troops have to go there to just keep the combatants apart. It costs too much money. Let's get the colonists to pay for some of this. We're going to pass a stamp act. That sounds like a good idea. Let's, nobody can object to that. And we'll have a stamp act and we'll raise money. But that's the point. This was one of the key steps on the road to revolution, the resistance of the Stamp Act. But the motive for that, that law was to raise money to station British troops on the frontier, not to take away the liberties of Americans, but to prevent American colonists and Native Americans from always being at war with each other. So, yeah, there you have a case where Native American tenacity and holding on to their own lands is a significant cause of the growing breach between the American colonists and the British. The most controversial part of the new histories of the revolution is the argument made in the 1619 project launched by the New York Times now a couple of years ago, that protecting slavery was a significant motivation for many American patriots, especially in colonies where the slave plantation was the foundation of the economy. Now, we've known for a long time that slaves fled by the thousands to areas the British controlled. What else do we need to know about this? What new evidence does Woody Holton have about the role of slavery? In well, the it's causes? interesting. It's interesting what Woody does because he does believe that this, you know, 
Lord Dunmore, the British governor of Virginia in 1775, issued this order welcoming runaway slaves into the British army. In other words, if they got to his forces in Virginia, he'd free them and make them soldiers. The white colonists were pretty annoyed about this, to say the least. It was an invitation to thousands of slaves to to run away to British lines, which eventually many of them did. In fact, Jefferson condemns this in the Declaration of Independence as just show how low the British were, you know, in their efforts to suppress American independence. What's interesting to me as a scholar who has read a lot of Woody's work is that actually he had written about this previously but he sort of exalted the British as defenders of black liberty. Now he is a plague on all your houses. The American colonists certainly wanted to keep their slaves, but the British were not acting in, during the revolution and offering freedom to slaves. They were not doing that because of humanitarian motivations. It was simply to weaken the labor available, you know, the amount of labor available to the other side. And he shows the British were just as unscrupulous in dealing with runaway slaves as the Americans, that some of them welcomed Lord Cornwallis, welcomed blacks behind their lines and then kicked them out eventually. And they were recaptured when they became a burden to his army. And so, again, it, it doesn't seem like anyone is very heroic in Woody Holton's uh, account of the revolution. British leaders, American leaders, the Native Americans, I say, do not gain very much. Many Blacks do gain their freedom through the revolution, uh, but it's not because of the revolutionaries, it's because they managed to run away and many British commanders did recognize their freedom. Overall, the balance sheet of people gaining and losing liberty as a result of the revolution uh, is on the negative side, really, in this book. Yeah, could you tell us a little more about that? That's kind of a startling fact for those who want to celebrate the American Revolution, that the achievement of freedom from Britain affected the different groups in the colonies differently. And for many of them, this was not really an expansion of their own freedom. Yeah, well, uh, Holton, go at the very end of the book, gives you a little uh, balance sheet of uh, who benefited and who didn't benefit from uh, American independence. He feels that a lot of ordinary white farmers did not benefit. They were saddled with debt. They were The 1780s was a period of economic downturn in the American nation. There were those like in Shays' Rebellion who actually refused to pay their taxes or close down courts so that they wouldn't be foreclosed by uh, merchants or others who would loan them money. And also, Holton sees the Constitution as a conservative document meant to keep popular ferment in check, under control, with a stronger central government, so that efforts by uh, ordinary farmers to uh, improve their condition faced a federal government not very sympathetic to that. But then you get others, of course. Women didn't gain very much, although some participated in the struggle for independence. Ultimately, they didn't gain very much from American independence. As I said, Native Americans, a disaster. They suffered the worst because they, they were now just, you know, there was no alternative power like the British to help them against the westward spread of the American uh, population, the free American population. And then you have blacks. He's, more blacks probably benefited than uh, others, but still the fact is there were more slaves in the United States in 1790 than there had been in 1776. 
And finally, I want to ask about the title of Woody Holton's book, Liberty is Sweet. Seems like this is something that right-wing school boards would love to make the center of the American history curriculum. Liberty is sweet. Where does that come from? Is that Thomas Jefferson? <laughs> it sounds very good. Uh, it is very good. And liberty is sweet. And uh, all sorts of groups were trying to gain liberty as they saw it in the revolution. But this is from a letter by one of George Washington's cousins, Lund Washington. And it was not about Americans sacrificing to gain freedom from the yoke of British tyranny. That's not what this little quote is about. Lund Washington wrote a letter to George saying, you know, you better watch out because once this, if a war begins, your slaves are going to start running away. You're not going to be able to keep control of your slaves. They've heard the talk of liberty. They know that liberty is sweet and they're going to make every effort they can to actually uh, gain liberty for themselves, even though it means running away from the father of our country, uh, George, George Washington. So it's an ironic title for Woody Holton's book in that it is really commenting on the role of slavery in the revolution rather than the hero heroism of the American colonists who struck for independence. The point here is that you can develop a congratulatory, celebratory account of the revolution if you want to do it. But to do it, you've got to look at the revolution the way Holton does, and particularly look at how people who were not intended to do this seized upon the idea of liberty for their own purposes. And the African-American slaves are the major uh, example of this. Unlike the, the founding fathers, the slaves believed that freedom was for everybody, not just for white people, for everybody. They took the idea of liberty and expanded it to, to at least as an aspiration, to include everybody in this, uh, in this nation. And in that sense, the slaves are the and their descendants are the inheritors of the ideals of the revolution, the ideal of freedom as a universal entitlement, rather than something just for white Americans. That's what we ought to be teaching in every classroom. And that should make people proud of the American Revolution. Eric Foner, he wrote about the many American revolutions in a review of Woody Holton's new book, Liberty is Sweet. You can read it at thenation.com. Thank you, Eric. Uh, very nice to talk to you as usual, John. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. Okay.